without further ado, I suppose we'll move on uh, and have a look at uh, the, the general discussion. It's based on coaching children and we're going to look at it from a coach and parent perspective. Um, and I'm delighted to have, um, as I said, um, Alton, Justin, uh, Paul and Dunica here today in order to, to help us with that. But also we've got Emily O'Leary, who's the IRFU Spirit Officer, and Emily is going to go through some of the programmes that the IRFU are implementing on the ground as well that will uh, add value to this discussion. Uh, Paul and Justin, I'm going to go to you guys first. Um, what was it like for you guys growing up, Paul, um, as kids? Yeah, well, we grew up um, in the country on a half acre and I was the youngest. Justin would have been about eight years older than me, but I had another brother about a year and nine months older than me, who I would say I was bigger than, but probably not more skillful than at sports. And, um, you know, my dad played, my dad is from Cork, he played hurling uh, for, for Black Rock. He played football for St. Michael's. He played his rugby with Sunday as well. And he came to Limerick and he, and he played rugby with young monsters. But it was just a big sports house. Um, and it was all about playing games all the time. You know, when Wimbledon was on, we were on the tarmac playing tennis. Uh, we had a pool table when the snooker was on. We were down playing snooker. Um, we went on holidays one year. We got those, you know, those nice bats with the little small ball. We ended up making these kind of courts on the grass out of those with pallets as nets. I had a little pitch and puck course out in my back that I used to mow the, myself the grass. And it was mainly independent play, I would say, a lot because, because I had a brother who was of similar age as me and we had similar kids, similar age kids on the road. So you know, even though my parents, we didn't have a computer, but we we were encouraged to play loads of sports. I don't remember them playing a lot of it with us. It was just independent play, making up games ourselves. Um, always with a competitive edge. You know, we were, it was very rare that we were actually practicing a skill um, ourselves. There was always a game, a competition or something to it, but we were learning through that, I suppose. Um, so th 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 those would be my my memories of of childhood from a sports point of view. Very little rugby, very little rugby actually played in the house. It's it's actually a difficult game to play on your own or in a group of three. You know, I'd remember kicking balls off walls, hurling poking balls off walls, playing golf out the back of my own, playing little three goals in soccer matches. Mm. Um, and I think every single one of those would have been beneficial to rugby um, as, as time progressed. Yeah. And Justin, obviously, uh, similar enough with regards to the, the family connection, but what were your kind of fondest memories? Uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of similarities. And it was very interesting even in, when it came to tennis, like when Roland Garris was on, we'd have a, a court on the tarmac at him. But when Wimbledon was on, we'd have the grass cut back to nothing and have a court on grass. It was, yeah. it was really like you get down into the details on it. It was quite funny. But also what Paul said, loads of games. We, we had a uh, we had a roof that had a sort of, you call it curly tiles. And we used to play a game called roof tennis, whereby, you know, all the cars would be cleared out of the driveway. We had a big, long tarmacadam running in front of the house. And you play roof tennis, whereby you you basically you had a tennis racket and a ball, you hit it up on the roof, but the only difference was that you didn't know the angle it was going to come back to you on. 
So you could be up one side, you hit one down, you'd be running down and it would go the other way. So you're talking about skills around feet and evasion and stuff that plays into a game like rugby. But we actually, to pause point, we played very little rugby. Everything else we played was more games that you could construct quite easily with a group or even with two of you. And then when it was raining, we'd be playing indoor golf basically on a par nine from the conservatory all the way down to the back of the house whereby you had to bounce the ball off the kitchen off the side of the kitchen and in through a tunnel down into some cup at the end it was I, I never remember except for sports stadium I never really remember watching much tv at any time during the day and we only really had one channel and then it went to two so there was never a there was never a BBC there was never a video it was just outdoors and games and you know roof tennis is one that I always remember because I never heard anybody else talking about it. Hey Alton uh, and I know Donica is listening in there as well but Alton uh, firstly what what was your kind of memories there between yourself yeah. and Donica and Emmett and the lads yeah. Yeah so there was five of us and uh, very very similar the exact same stories but maybe in a different side of it would be having five you know four four of us as boys and Emer as, uh, as the baby sister and then we were in a park in Bishopstone and the same age, just, just like the lad said, we just had like the famous five and Huckleberry Finn kind of stuff. We went climbing trees and building rafts near rivers and streams and putting ropes over trees and swinging across them and slogging apples and getting the chase and, you know, just doing all the things, all those lovely, lovely things, lovely memories are coming back as the lads were saying. And, uh, you know, something that came into my memory there, Keith, was um, having my school uniform and when you'd come home from school, you you couldn't wait to jump into what mom would call your playing clothes. Oh yeah. You know, like get get into like it was actually you're going playing, so take off the school uniform and get into the playing clothes. And uh, it it just came flooding back. And I'm looking at some of the pictures. I used to and Donna could remember this. I was mad for the comic books. I used to love Roy the Rovers and the Victor and Dennis the Menace and all these things. And I used to have a tea chest. I used to keep them all in a tea chest and. Uh, I'd share them then with the brothers and the cousins and we'd move them around the park, you know, as you finished it and you'd go out and you'd get a, you'd get a, a job uh, collecting some of the bottles and things like that and you'd get the few pence to buy the comic, to read the comic and to share it around with your mates, you know. Um, now our house wasn't a two-story, it was a bungalow, so we, we used to try and get it over the house as well. And uh, years later, when the gutters were being, uh, let's say, cleaned out, the amount of slitters, tennis balls, and every other ball that could be found was pulled down from there, you know. So great <laughs> memories, yeah, yeah. And Emily, uh, how was it for you growing up? I know, obviously, in Cork as well, but how was your your main memories or what are your fondest memories growing up? Yeah, I suppose similar to the lads, we would have been out and about the minute we came home from school, like out on our bikes. Um, I grew up in a, a housing estate, so like, a lot of kids the same age as me so you'd be nearly crying when they were told to come in and in the summer if you were in and it was bright like you were the worst and like your mother was the worst in the world um i suppose we i did a lot of organized sports then as well like within school there was you know i went to a school that was predominantly playing hockey so it was that but um tried my hand at a lot of different sports throughout the, the years as well and you know i think as paul and justin said as well like every little bit of sport that you can do organized or not organized will will eventually stand to you um, in whatever sport you kind of decide to stick to. Yeah, I think and I think that look, I think that brings us on nicely to where we're going uh, for the for the for the next uh, part of the discussion, because um, 
Emily made a point there in relation to kind of organized sport. And I guess one of the questions that I have today for us lads is, you know, with regards to our coaching uh, and regards to our perspective on what the kids want, you know, is organization and structure and planning to the, the high level degree that we're seeing an awful lot on the ground uh, the right place to go. And I guess some of the some of the, the kind of poignant uh, responses out there and research at the moment are kind of telling us that, you know, kids want certain things out of sport. Uh, this was a 2018 survey, Home Nation survey that was done. Having fun and being part of a team were kind of the two main um, responses from kids with regards to what they would want. Delving into that kind of emphasis of what the kids want, um, I suppose, you know, Paul, if I could go to you first on this, I mean, what, what, like from what you're seeing in, in your own club and with your own uh, son and so on, you know, what are the kind of key things for you that you're seeing on the ground or what experience are you having around this about what kids want and why they want to play? Yeah, look, yeah, that it goes without saying that, that the best training sessions where where the kids feel the best, where us as adults feel the best, I coach under 10s, is when they have the most crack um, without a shadow of a doubt. You know, it, it, the days when we walk off and we say that was a hard session, they did some great tackling. Those aren't probably the ones where the coaches feel the best or where the uh, where the kids feel the best. So now I, I, I do find it I do find it hard making it fun, you know, especially coming from a professional environment. Um, it's not easy, you know, because one of the big things you want to do, I think in rugby, in, in underage rugby anyway, at, at, down at our level is, the guys that can tackle, I think, enjoy it the most. And the, guy, the kids, when you have kids in that age group who can't tackle or are a little bit afraid of tackling, tend to be a little bit, tend to be a little bit tentative about the training and a little bit worried about the training. And I think the coaches are worried for them as well. So. Um, you know, we we had we had a few sessions over the winter where um, it was incredibly. I, I just I remember there was one session where it was it was the ground was almost frozen, but we were allowed to train on the pitch. So we decided we wouldn't have them on the floor at all. These are nine year olds. We decided we wouldn't have them on the floor at all. So we just played uh, end ball, uh, dodge ball. Um, uh, the game where you get touched twice. I can't. Rugby prime. Yeah, yeah, prime. Double touch. Yeah. Double touch prime. Um, and I, I remember it was an incredible session. Very enjoyable games. No drills. So there was no one queuing. No one waiting for a turn because it was very cold and we needed a moving all the time. Um, and it's one of the standout sessions from the year for me because we had no worry about the tackle. Uh, the kids that could tackle and the kids that couldn't tackle um, and we just had unbelievable crack in games and we I think we were short a few numbers on teams so some parents had to step in so it, it ties in with that that those ones where we played these random games that challenged them with the same game with a different rule that made them think a little bit um, those were the most enjoyable days from the season just gone. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one, and I guess a kind of an overarching theme in regards to, you know, the players coming back to say that's what they want. They want to play more games. You know, Justin, obviously you've come through the mini section as well, and I know you're coaching at youth level as well. 
Would you have had similar experiences with the, the players coming through the different age groups? Yeah, big time. And, and it's, it's interesting what Paul was saying there is like it, it, it can be hard to make it fun at times because you want, you know, you, you want the, the group to advance and to get going. And, and one of the biggest challenges is crossing the divide on the tackle, as I call it. And kids cross that divide at various ages. Some guys come in, they're five or girls that come in, they're five and they're straight into it. You, you know, you're holding them back because they're still playing tip. Those other people don't get into it until, you know, it might be 13 or 14. And it, it's a big challenge, but it requires a big effort. And it's it's worth it, I think, to make sure that you keep everybody playing the game at that stage. And you need to do that by finding, you know, the position that somebody can play in where maybe they're not drawn into that as much and put them in the environment that they're comfortable. But back to the fun thing, I think even this year under 16s, but I think when you get to that competitive level, I think as a coach, they need for you to be, you know, more uber organized and competitive on match days. But when it comes to training, you have to bring in that fun element as well. It can't, it can't be all so structured in training, even though, you know, they require more. What we found this year is one of the things that brought the most fun was just, it was going back to a game of tip, but it was a game of tip that brought a bit more challenge and skill, whereby it was just, you know, if you got tipped, you had a two-second offload rule or else you needed to go to ground to present the body, long body, which organized the defense to get back. But it was still a game of tip. Guys could, you know, you know, I, I guess practice their skills more. It was a looser environment. It wasn't as structured. It wasn't as much tackling. And mm -hmm. like we, we could have had a huge game, but if we didn't finish up the session with a, with a game of that tip, there would have been war. So it just shows that it doesn't matter what the level, like you have to bring in that fun element. It's, it's huge. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, that's come up now once or twice, lads, around the variety and and just ensuring. But uh, I love the way that we're really kind of emphasizing the idea of playing games and coaching through games. And Ulton, if I could ask you, I mean, there's a lot of learning in that, isn't there, for the kids with regards to games and learning through games, learning by doing. I mean, there's a lot in that for us to be promoting, isn't there? There is uh, very similar here. Look, wh where I'm coming from would be I've I've five children playing rugby in our local club Kingsale and in the local national and secondary school. Um, I've two daughters and three boys, and they're ranging, you know, from I've I've been coaching them since let's say they started, and they're through the ages, let's say all the way from six to fifteen, and um, you know, my learning very similar there it's about the environments and the reality of the game is the best coach and i think what you're looking for here is to let them play and listen to the game like actively watch and listen to what they're you know what is their body telling you and how they're navigating you know their their evasion if you listen to everything the guys were sharing there you know it, it doesn't always have to be a rugby specific activity or a drill based you know so um Again, I, I really feel that if if I was to include, I've a, I've a daughter, Maisie, who's really, you know, challenged by the tackle by and the tackle and you, you spoke you, you about spoke the tackle of um, um, you, know, you know, get over that, 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 that uh, component of the fear of it, you know, um, and um, she's really unpacking that and she's asking more questions of me and forcing me to, you know, challenge how I coach her in understanding that and her teammates, you know. So um, 
it's 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 very interesting i would say that maybe sometimes more of the reality of the game and creating games for understanding um what i mean by that is all sports games all field sports are chaotic you're surfing chaos it's high intensity they're multi-directional so the more we can get the the players and the young players training as they'll play so that you know their own internal compass will will arise within them uh, and that that is their gut instinct um, and that's what you're looking for as opposed to us as coaches trying to give them a GPS system, giving them drills and giving them activities and being prescriptive and telling them, as you said, where to go, what to do. Um, you know, so I would say the environments and how the reality of the game, Keith, is very much about making it more about the surfing, the chaos of, of what pictures they're going to see uh, on a Saturday or in a game situation rather than us being prescriptive around the activity. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. Donica, just to bring you in there, um, fun and games, like is that stuff that you would kind of resonate with from the perspective of maybe a child and what kids would want? Just from my own personal level, I knew that was one of the main reasons I enjoyed and, and took part in rugby. Obviously, Ulton and the lads were playing, but I loved it. I loved going up to uh, Ted Stack up in, in Highfield and, and Cheeky was purely because he made it fun. They're like. I wasn't good at the game, but I, I loved it and I had a brilliant time every Saturday morning and I wanted to go and I think um, by being around it more and more, I got better and I improved, but my love to be there and my want and I probably was saying there, there was, no one was allowed to stand around, you, you weren't allowed not be involved, everyone played, everyone was involved in some part of it and I, I think the, the fun element can get lost and I'll be honest, I think the main losers of it can be the coaches and the parents because everyone wants their, their kid to be the next Keith Earls, Troy Parrot, instead of just leaving them be a kid and having a laugh. I have a simple take on that about, I may not always remember what my coaches, teachers or parents have said to me, um, but I always remember how they spoke to me and that's what Dunnick is identifying there, how they made him feel and made us feel uh, and that's why we kept coming back. That's the caring side of it, the coaching, you know, and there's a book there by Joe Ehrman er er about inside out coaching, how sports can transform lives. And it's a great read worked, and I can share the link with you, but it's, it's worth looking at. It's not just about the X's and O's. It's not just about the, the, ma uh, the activities that we do. It's actually about how we shape and interact holistically that kind of, you know, people in our communities. It's, it's really wrapping around that in a way that, you know, I feel I felt more value on a rugby pitch than I did on a hurling pitch, maybe because the coach made me feel that value. You know, a big aha moment for me um, as I as I started out coaching kids was I attended one of the uh, one of the Munster um, coaching courses. It was I did the minis and and the youths and stuff, but um, it was actually. It was Noel Amara was was presenting out, and and there was a pie chart around the level that you're coaching and the amount of time that the ball is in play, and and the message was was that you know are you coaching enough through the game and and through games and and allowing it to be uh, sort of structured around that. So if it's eighty five percent in play, then are you coaching eighty five percent of your sessions through play and games and not through drills, which the play and the games automatically automatically brings the fun element into it. And that, that was a big learning for me in terms of how we needed to start to change maybe what you come in as a former player traditionally doing with your 
laps of the field and your drills and then your 10 minutes of the match at the end and, and changing that. So that, that was a that was a big thing for me. And the other one that it was 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 not it didn't necessarily you know resonate that, let's say with me with my kids but the message was that it ties back to earlier on and, and your upbringing the way things change is that sometimes on a Sunday morning when you're coaching some of the kids you're coaching that may be their own their only physical exercise of the week because kids are very different than they were before there's a lot more distractions inside the house keeping them indoors or keeping them more sedentary than where they're active so you know you the feedback there from from your friends on three to four sports a week that's not necessarily every kid so that's even more reason i think that you have to make it fun and you have to keep them coming back because for some you know they're a lot more limited exercise than what kids used to get yeah that's it that that's a really interesting point and the reality guys is that um you know we're when we see kids playing five and six game or sports a week you know it's it's actually what they're getting out of those sports for me you know um you know, are we doing enough in order to maintain that active lifestyle that we're hoping to try and achieve and allow these kids explore and experience and develop? Uh, and I guess that's really the key, you know. Um, and I guess, do you know what, it brings us on really nicely to the next question, which is regards to what is our role in all of this? Um, and I know, Emily, there's a few things from the perspective of the behaviour of the coach and parents and that that you guys are doing in, in safeguarding spirit rugby that you might like to share with us there, you know. Yeah, well, I suppose one of the main things in the Spirit Rugby programme, I suppose, comes down to the safety of the environment that kids are in. But that's all helped by people creating that sort of a child-centred environment. So what we spoke about, you know, list, like listening to what they actually want. You know, they want to have fun, they want to play games. They don't necessarily care about the results of the game at the weekend. Um, so it, a, lot, I suppose, a lot of the work that we would do with clubs would be through the club's welfare officer. Um, reasoning for that is so that the players know that there is one person who's there to listen to them. Um, but we also try for those welfare officers to do a lot of work with their coaches and how they can best create those child-centred environments. So within our kind of safeguarding courses that we roll out with coaches, a lot of kind of the first part of it is, is mostly all discussion around why they want to play sport, why they drop out of sport. But we also look at why coaches are involved in sport themselves and why they got involved with youth sport. And that it's nearly always a mirror image of what's written on, you know, the post-it about why children play sport and that it's fun, it's enjoyable, it's sociable. Um, and why coaches are actually still involved in, in coaching youth sport and in that they're getting enjoyment out of it as well and it's fun. Yeah. So if the two parties are, are you know, enjoying it and, and having fun, then, you know, that's kind of, that's, that's a box ticked and it, that's success. I suppose other kind of aspects on that is is knowing your role. You know, are you a coach? Are you a parent? Are you a spectator? Are you a referee? You know, if you're a coach and you're a parent, I suppose it's what hat you're wearing when. You know, on the sideline, you're their coach. And then when you hop into the car to bring them home, you go back to being their parent. Um, and there's a couple of different resources around, you know, the car ride home. There's little YouTube videos and stuff done up and it's, what questions that children want to be asked after games and it's not you know they don't want the games to be dissected or said you know you should have passed there or you know things that they need to improve on it it's did you enjoy it did you have fun and you know what would you like for lunch when you go home you know it's 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 very simple things and i suppose it can maybe be harder for people who are both wearing that coach and dad hat or that coach and mom hat you know as to 
differentiating when to when to be coach and when to be parent and, and when to just be the kind of supporter. It's a very interesting question because it's one of the ones that came up a couple of times. Um, we got over 100 questions for this webinar, guys, and to try and theme them down. Um, I know Justin and Paul, you've hit on the tackle one, which came up a few times. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about some resource on that at the end. But the one around, you know, how, how I change from being a coach and being a father and, and, you know, how I interact with my son when he's part of a team. You know, I, I guess a lot of coaches are finding that, finding that challenging. And Alton, if I was just to say that environment, I suppose, and that experience that we're trying to create is key there, isn't it? You know, whether you're a father or a coach, it's, it's making sure that all kids are getting an equal experience and enjoying what they're doing within our clubs. Yeah, I asked the kids when I told them I was coming on with the lads and, um, you know, I, it's funny that they said, Dad, when we cross the white line, you're my coach. And when we come off the pitch, you're my dad, you know, so knowing when to switch on and off, as Emily said, and, Brilliant. you know, the treat afterwards, um, you know, the, you know, the scones and the brownies and, you know, there, there's healthy options there within the Kingsdale Rugby Club. But unfortunately, as you know, the sugar hit is always and the glass of Raza or Ribena or, you know, those little things like we spoke about our memories that they're big influencers in them because they they sit down, they catch up with their mates and, you know, some of them are in different national schools. So, you know, as I think Justin or some of them said there, it's, it's the first time they've seen each other all week if they're from different schools. Um, but definitely the environment, I can't stress enough how we have a, a massive duty to create the right environment and getting alignment within that kit is so important as well from the on the six coach right up to the four stages, four levels through um, mini rugby, you know, from under six to eight to 10 to 12. Um, so that if I was the under six coach, Justin was the under eight coach, let's say, uh, Dunnock under 10s and Paul under 12, that, you know, we're, we're all aligned in the environment we're trying to create and that instead of me feeling that I have to do so much on my own uh, with my group of coaches, uh, the only thing I'm doing is maybe giving them a love of the game giving them that passion, giving them the values and the behaviours, but more importantly then getting them simplest, simplistically in a technical way, just getting used to holding the ball and running and evasion. And, you know, we always seem to look at what's not working, the tackle, when we don't spend enough time looking at what they do well. So we come up with words like shake and bake and razzle dazzle, because when we talk to them about decision making, their eyes roll. So now that's shake and bake, right guys, we're going to shake and bake. They're going to come in, they're going to decelerate and accelerate away. And uh, razzle dazzle is they're going to put some footwork on and they're going to work on, you know, swerve, sidestep. And that's their words, that that lights them up. And that's the energy, mm. you see the energy, you know, it just comes right into them, you know. So you've got to connect and find out what ways, um, you know, uh, turn them into kind of, let's say, the... Uh, the, their internal kind of awareness of how they want to connect rather than our terminology or adult terminology, you know? I suppose the information that's out there and a lot of the, the um, research and writings around coaching children and what children want, um, there's some really interesting ones that could help us all as parents and as coaches. But I think this is one that I pulled out uh, out of Peter Gray's stuff, which is the Free to Learn book that bas basically identifies, you know, if we want them to thrive, we need to allow them to play. Um, and that this idea of playing al al allows them to learn, learn many different skills, decision-making, problem-solving, as, as Alton spoke about, interaction, social skills, you know, lifestyle skills, et cetera. But 
if anybody wanted to pick up on any information out of that, I think the I coach kids pledge and the I coach kids stuff is really good. I guess, Paul, um, if I come back to you there on that, I guess, and there's some really interesting stuff around the environment we're creating as coaches, um, how we're interacting with the kids, both as our uh, a parent and also with the kids in general. But you know, what are the kind of the key take homes for you with regards to your coaching experience so far? And more importantly, yeah, well, look, I just have a few things to say to some of the coaches that are out there. I mean, you know, I played professional rugby. I've coached professionally. Um, I've worked under some of the best coaches in the world. But it actually doesn't matter when it comes to coaching small kids uh, rugby. And I think for some people out there that are coaching young kids rugby, having not played the game or having not having a massive knowledge of the game is not necessarily an obstacle to doing a good job and it can actually be a strength in doing a good job because you actually have to if you haven't played the game or you don't have a big knowledge of the game and you're just getting involved because you like rugby or your kid is playing you actually have to go back and learn things from the very very beginning whereas i can tackle but I couldn't really tell you how I learned to tackle. Mm. I just can tackle, you know. And so I think for anyone out there that's coaching young kids, don't worry about, you know, if you feel you hear, I don't know, Ronan O'Gara on the TV or, or people talking about Professor Rugby and it seems so complex. It's actually a real strength not to have a massive rugby knowledge at times if you're willing to go and just learn the basics uh, from the start. So I think that's really important. And I found it really, really hard coaching young kids. And I know a lot about the game. So that, that's one thing that I, that I wanted to say um, and that I, I think is really important. Um, I was on a webinar last night with Stuart Lancaster and nearly the whole thing was about teaching the game through games as well. So he has some of the best players in Europe, some of the best players in the world and he teaches it through games. So he wants to get them fit through games. He wants them to learn footwork through games. He wants them to learn decision-making through games. And he uses nearly all the same games that, that, that uh, he listed them out in the webinar yesterday. And I think the webinar might be up on YouTube for anyone that's into rugby. It's really interesting and it's very simple. But he was talking about rugby prime, playing two touch with, with the best players in the world. So, so, you know, if you think professional teams are doing loads of drills and loads of rucking technique, they're not. They're gone back to this game-based approach as well. Um, and I think the webinar thing, Keith, for, for uh, I'm just listing off a few things that I've written down that I wanted yeah, to yeah. say. Yeah. The webinar thing, I mean, I've been at one of the coaching courses with Munster and trying to get the time to do it, trying to get the time for everyone to be able to do it at the same time sometimes is a challenge. I think these webinars are, are brilliant. I mean, the one with Stuart Lancaster last night, he's obviously delivered it before, so he's very well prepared with his points, with his footage. But it was so brilliant. Never left the house. It was on from seven until quarter past seven. Um, so I think there's a lot in that. Um, and then just the tackle. I think even professionally, the first thing you can do if you have a weakness on some, in something, the first thing you have to do is just start practicing it. it. You don't have to go and ring everyone and look up the internet and find the silver bullet greatest drill of all time. 
you just have to start with some kind of a drill and get the kids tackling every single session. Les Hogan, the coaches in, in, in Bohemians, he's just in the group below Justin. I think Justin's kids play with him. He, he, he has a very good team, but I'd always be asking what drills he's doing for tackling because they're very good tacklers. He said they don't do anything special. They just do it every single week without fail. Especially. You know, just exactly. And, and I think even in, when I was coaching professionally, sometimes you're looking for the most especially if you've been coached by Joe Schmidt, you're looking for the most amazing drill. You're looking to do an incredible job straight away. Whereas the best way to improve something is just start doing it, review it, make it a little bit better next week. And, you know, four or five weeks into it, you'll have a really good drill that'll be making a difference to, to the kids. So those were some of the things that, that I have written down. But I think the biggest thing I would say, I mean, is, is about don't, I think, not having a massive rugby knowledge can be a big strength when you're starting to learn to teach kids um, because I know I get frustrated sometimes because I know things in rugby but I actually don't know how I know them and I'm having to go back and find out you know what is the starting point of this and what is the progression of that so I think that's really important I mean I'm involved in the Aldi Play rugby program and some of the coaches I've met never played the game they've an interest in the game they ended up in this career and they've been incredible with the kids and i'm there you know i'm there watching them coaching children and i'm blown away by how good they are so i just wanted to make that point that you don't need to be an expert in rugby to make a good coach of, of young kids yeah and if i can come in there again the, the, the professional game has changed to become almost more like the amateur game the professional game has changed that when when things are organized that's when teams find it easy to defend so as an attack you you actually want a chaotic disorganized environment so you actually want players that can play in that chaotic disorganized environment and that's what a lot of um that's what a lot of underage rugby is i think because yeah. you know nine out quality isn't as good at times the, the scrum quality isn't as good. The kicking game isn't as good. So there's a lot of this open play. And that that is where all the professional games coaching is going now, this open, chaotic game. And I think that's, that's where it's probably easiest to coach in some ways in the underage game as well as these rugby prime games, these uh, double touch or, mm. or games where offload touch, when you get touched, you just offload or one over touch where you get touched and just one guy has to go over and you can play the ball and it's anyone as a scrum half. And yeah. Lancaster in that webinar was listing these games and they're all, you know, you'd learn them in a, in a Munster uh, under 12s coaching course. And yeah. he said, those are his bread and butter. You know, he showed a game that Leinster play where he just has staggered bags all over the field and he throws the ball to the attack and they just have to be able to pass the ball as quickly as they can through this chaotic uh, field. And I was just looking at it going, you know, my under 10s could definitely do that drill and would probably love it. Uh, yeah. So, and, and the other thing with the games, I would say, and I just have this written down is don't reinvent the wheel, you know, get the games that Munster have on, on the Munster, rugby.ie, 
forward slash domestic, I think it is. Yeah. Get them, learn them, put them in, and then you can know you can bring little tweaks into them um, yourself. Like, I think I think that's that's a brilliant point. And managing the chaos is one of the ones that we continue to promote because it is chaotic. And the younger the kids, a lot of questions came in last night, lads, in relation to how do you manage, you know, large numbers and you know, motivating the kids and keeping them motivated within the sessions uh, and keeping them motivated, you know, even throughout the season to stay in our game and, you know, move up the, the pathway. That's a big challenge for all of us, isn't it, Justin? Yeah, I, I think for me, um, you know, that some of that has to happen. It's back to the fun element. I think it's back to the variety, you know, so we, we can all sort of try to perfect the drill and next thing you spend 35 minutes doing something with, you know, in your mind, you're trying to get five of the kids skill level up when maybe the rest don't need that. So yeah. there's times when you, you know, you might need to do some sessions with a few kids or take somebody to the side, but then keep the thing moving and keep it, you know, keep the variety up. I think motivation through the season is also driven by, you know, rugby, especially as a, as a sport is, is famous for touring. I, I think if you can do any type of an event that you're going to go to, so if you're going to go to like I'm going to quote my own club, UL Bowes, they, they have a Pat Lawler tournament every year under 13 or they, they do the uh, the Aviva under 10s tournament. Like for, 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 for a group to travel to that, you know, you get them coming up, the best of the crack is in the bus and, you know, it takes a bit of organisation. There might be a few quid, but that's where I think, you know, you're aiming for something as well. You know, lads, we have the trip. You can orient it some of the sessions around the trip. And the trip isn't really about the rugby. The rugby is just a bonus. And and sort of the, the relationships they built on that trip to Ulton's point earlier on, they're kids from different schools and, you know, they meet for, you know, the hour on a Sunday morning, you know, but on that day, you've got a day long trip. They're sitting with different people on the bus and where the crack is. I, I think building that into what we do, regardless of the sport, is really important. And I think helps to keep drive on the season because these tournaments are in place. You can't go to all of them. But, but when you do, it's it's really special. And they're the things that kids remember. If you just got a bus and even drove around on it, it would be enough. I've been up there with, with all my kids. We've we've been very lucky to go up to Justin and uh, and the UL, like a fantastic event and well run and well organized. And and, and I, I shared there that um, it's not just about the X's and O's and the technical and tactical. It's, it's actually about the sing song. It's about calling them up to tell a story or to, you know, sing a song on the microphone. They love it. They absolutely love it. I've, I've managed through learning from my children and from coaching. I've learned more from them as much as I would hope they're learning from me. So as I sit here today, I believe I'm a better coach from actually not trying to be prescriptive in telling them, but in allowing them to fail and fail well and in creating an environment that allows them to try things. So as Justin has said there, looking at my 60 minutes on a Saturday morning at half nine that I have until half 10, because there's so many boys and girls playing in the club, you know, you have your pitch time and, you know, you have to be on and off for the next team to be coming in. And um, we as coaches have to sit down and, you know, there's fantastic uh, collaboration between all the coaches uh, who are parents, moms and dads. And we prepare a session that is as close to the game reality that we can. Um, but they're constantly moving and evolving and there's reduced remedy work where if Alton is struggling with the tackle or the catch pass or whatever component, 
there's Paul and Justin and Dunica there to do remedial work with me. And um, in finishing that point, Keith, we've, we've looked to try and really applaud areas that aren't just about scoring tries, but you know, the values, you know, like the ethos of the game, you know, the sportsmanship. Um, there's a great man down here, Gary Byrne and Paul O'Connor with the under 12s who would have the effort king. You know, who was the best effort king of the day? He mightn't have scored the tries. He mightn't have made the big outrageous uh, tackle, but he was constantly getting up off the ground and showing up. And that's a massive part of our DNA in rugby, you know, is the unseen work. So, you know, acknowledging that at a young age and getting, you know, let's say, as Dunica said, the player who mightn't be the most skillful, but is the most committed. That's a massive value on the pitch of rugby, you know. Paul, was there just, I'm going to go around with the other lads as well, but was there any main influencers on you or like, was there any memories from your coaching experience as a kid? Um, I would have had a lot of uh, coaches that ended up, I would say, almost as mentors for me when I was young, but I wouldn't remember any of their coaching. I wouldn't remember anything technical they taught me, but I would have known that they would have been in constant contact with my parents about various things. Uh, if I was acting the maggot of training or if I was doing well or, or you know, I was I was big into swimming. We'd go away to galas. So you'd be away from home for two or three nights if I was misbehaving or, or if I was behaving. And, you know, I know it's a cheesy line and, you know, I, I do remember how the ones I'd be closest with were the ones that made me feel great about myself. Um, the ones I was closest with are ones that I knew cared about me. They were probably a little bit strict, but they were, I, I knew they were, they wanted me to do well. I knew they wanted me to be happy, to have fun. I knew they were in contact with my parents. So I knew they were more than just a coach. So that, 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 you know, that's what would stick out for me about some of the coaches I had, John Dempsey, Jerry Ryan in swimming, Kieran Kiley and Ali Delaney in rugby. They were just, they, they made me feel very good about myself. And um, and I, I think that's what a, a good coach does. I don't remember a lot of the technical stuff they did with me, which I think is probably a sign of a good coach. Yeah. Justin, would you have had a kind of similar experience with coaches when you were... Yeah, I, I think it's it's at various stages. I like the way what Dunica said there. You've got coaches that gave you an appreciation and a love of the game, and then the coaches that probably coach you more technically. Um, in school, I had John Sheehan, who actually participated in Superstars. We are talking about Superstars earlier on from the old days, so he actually participated in Superstars, but he was just he, he was a, a sports guy ahead of his time and I think gave a, a lot of us a, you know, a love for the more scientific element of sport and how you know, you, you had to have fitness and nutrition and, and other elements that went into a performance. So he, he was a real educator in that. And the other person for me, I think that I'm incredibly close to is that when I went to UCC as an 18 year old and went out to play with Sunday as well, because my dad played there, I basically went training on a Thursday and and Ricky David put me in to play an AIL game the following Saturday. I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. But but Ricky just, Ricky had this great belief. He just gave you a belief in yourself that you could do anything. And, um, you know, he'd throw you in at the deep end and, and but, you know, put a protecting around you with guys like Ken O'Connell or China and these guys that were uh, legends of the club. But but ultimately you felt you were almost going out doing it on your own. And, and that was a, a brilliant thing, I think, just a coach that can give you great belief, even as you're turning sort of into a young adult, you know. 
it's, it's an interesting one because uh, obviously, look, I had coached in the well and Dunnock and, uh, and Ulti know Ricky as well, mm-hmm. the character in himself, and we'd know that'd be exactly his style, wouldn't it? Yeah, still really close to him. Yeah, and characters, like guys, we can't stress enough, you know, having the characters, like what you've just identified there, for me, no different. Uh, Skull and Sprit Nave National School, for Eddie, my older brother, and Emmett, like, you know, we were shaped by men at a time when my mother needed role models, positive role models in our lives. And let's say when we were falling into the wrong path, it was those good people that Dunnock identify there, Ted Stack and Finney and, you know, pulling Emmett out of the bed on a Saturday morning when Emmett wouldn't get out of the bed and, you know, hunting him, hunting him into the car, Dunnock, if you'll remember. And people like um, what you just said about Ricky, Paddy Collin and Ray Collin seeing something in me, Justin, like you at 18, um, put me into a senior jersey as a young, when you think about it now. But what I couldn't see in myself, they could see and they they made you feel so much more, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Your self-esteem at a time in your life, you know, when when you're probably doubting yourself. They're actually able to come in around you and 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 talk and build you up into the man that you become today. And that's why I'm here. That's why I'm giving it back. And that's why we're all trying to give it back. Is uh, we're trying to be those positive influence influencers, maybe also like Finney and Ricky and so forth. You know. And um, I can't stress enough um, the amount of moms and dads and teachers and people, not just in rugby but all over the sporting world, that are out there giving of their time to help shape boys and girls into you know adolescence and adulthood and uh, we're very very lucky as a country I think and I think with the COVID crisis that we're in at the moment we'd be like spring lambs and calves bucking to get out when 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 we finally do get out to play you know and I look forward to that. Yeah as we all do. Uh, Emily can I just bring you in here to finish uh, regards to your own experiences and coaching I know mainly through probably hockey was it? But... Yeah I suppose Hockey is the main thing, but I would have started in a more competitive environment with gymnastics, which I suppose gets a lot more competitive at a very early age. Um, but I suppose that's in its way, in its own way, then helped shape you as a person as well, you know, having that different kind of competitive element. Um, but at the end of the day, it was hockey was the one that I stuck to for that kind of being part of a team and, you know, those bus rides and those tours and everything like that were you're having that fun and you like you're you're still improving as a player but the fun element is, is always there um in particular within team sports because you know you make friends for life when you're when you're part of a team yeah. if i could ask one thing based on what a lot of you had said today is although we want to be influencing and caring for what we're doing take the shackles off a little bit and just let them explore let them explore let them express themselves uh the one that i i like doing with my kids at the moment lads is letting them come up with the games and i play the games with them so put the, as Emily said earlier, put put a different hat on, put the shoe on the other foot as, as as you would, and just allow them to be themselves and let them grow. So on that yeah. note, just like oh, just one more thing on that, I suppose the easiest way to know what they want to do is by asking them. You know, so when we get back into rugby and our the under sevens and under eights are piling back out onto the pitch, you know, take five minutes to ask them what they want to do and what they like and what they change, and there you have it. You know, you have their voice, and straight away, and you can. You can do what they want to do. I guess if they're anything like us lads, as Ulton said, they'll be chomping at the bit to get back on the pitch, yeah. whether it's a, a rugby pitch, a soccer pitch, a pitch, we'll all be at it. So look, please God, that'll come sooner than later. Uh, can I take the opportunity to thank all of you? Uh, this has been a massive experience for, for me, but also being our first webinar, our first opportunity to go on a live uh, webinar like this. I hope the attendees and those who registered got the opportunity to 
uh, engage and understand what we were trying to do. There was a load of questions came in, lads, live while we were talking. But I guess, as I said, we could be here all day trying to deal with all the questions and that. But personally, can I just thank everybody for giving your time, uh, allowing us into your home, even though Alton's home looks very clean. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those back rooms setting, I presume. But uh, uh, look, we really appreciate your time, uh, guys. It's, uh, it's it's a difficult time for everybody, unprecedented, very unique. And uh, may I thank you and wish you all safe uh, and stay healthy, stay active.